Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm one of your hosts, Corbin Heller. And we are here today to talk about uh, the 2007 film Superbad and the 1999 film The Matrix. Corwin Heller, do you have a preference on where we get started? Yeah, dude, let's uh, let's talk about The Matrix Reloaded. We did not watch Reloaded. Right. Get right out of Terminator here. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Terminator 3, still judging. Uh, Terminator 4, Judge Dredd. Terminator 5, Aaron Judge. Terminator 6, The Sandlot? <laughs> oh, it has nothing to do with the Terminator. That'd be fucking hilarious. Imagine the Sandlot, but with the Terminator? If the dog was the guy. The Terminator. I remember summer of 1956. We were playing ball in the backyard and trying to beat up that fucking robot. <laughs> This new kid, John Connor, moved into the area. Boy, I wish he didn't. He has some crazy opinions. <laughs> oh, all right. Anyway, let's talk, let's talk about The Matrix. Oh, 1999's The Matrix, written and directed by the Wachowski sisters, Lana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski. Uh, it stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, and Carrie Ann Moss. Um Oh, fuck. I just hit the wrong button on my computer and changed screens. All right, we're back. Um, this film had an estimated budget of $63 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $466 million. I think we can go ahead and call that a big fat success. Um, this film famously, uh, in a story, was re- originally given a $10 million budget which the Wachowski said was not nearly enough for what they wanted to do. So they went ahead and used that budget to film one of the scenes that's in the movie. I forget which scene I'm doing this little story from memory uh, and brought it back to the studio gambling that they were going to give them the full budget. I don't remember. I I really like, I don't, I couldn't even begin to remember for you. Um, And then after the studio had seen what they did with the $10 million and believed that they could do more with more, they ended up funding the footing, the bill for the rest of the uh, budget of this film. So that's that. Anyway, uh, the tagline to this movie is free your mind, which I have to say that's a top three tagline for me for, for what we've done so far. I missed it because I was looking up the scene for the matrix and it was in fact the lobby scene. Got it. Uh, the tagline is free your mind. Oh, I was also, uh, I was wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. I, was was I don't it's think the, it was that one. It's the first scene where Trinity fights the agents and then runs across the uh, rooftops. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Uh, this movie won six Oscars. It was only nominated for, sorry, won four Oscars. It was only nominated for four, so it swept the categories that it was in. It was nominated for and therefore also won for Best Film Editing for Zach Steinberg. Best Sound for John T. Wright's Greg Rudloff, David E. Campbell, and David Lee. Best Effects Sound Effects Editing for Dane A. Davis. And Best Effects Visual Effects for John Gaeta, Janik Sirs, Steve Courtley, and John Thumb. Those are some names, man. Um, This film. Yeah. Or I guess it could School be was Tum for him. or Tum, but it's T-H-U-M, no B. So I'm saying thumb until otherwise corrected. Uh, this film is about a beautiful stranger. When a beautiful stranger leads computer hacker Neo to a forbidding underworld, he discovers the shocking truth. Life he knows is the elaborate deception of an evil cyber intelligence. Uh, this was my pick for the week. And so I will get us started. So I picked this movie because I have not seen it in a very long time, and I recall absolutely hating it. And because I like to think of myself as a fair man, I was like, I should watch it again. And because we just watched Fight Club and it shares a lot of that like grungier kind of 90s film. The 90s to the early 2000s was a weird point in film where it seemed like the quality of film got worse. 
because there was a transition between film and digital that I think was heavily taking place, but the technology wasn't quite fully there. So in my opinion, there's a lot of digital stuff in the 2000s that looks really rough as compared to stuff that was done in like the 70s on straight film because the process was just better. But regardless. Um, So I wanted to revisit it and I figured this show would be a good opportunity to do it. And I definitely like it more than I recall liking it when I had first seen it. Mm -hmm. But I still don't think this movie has me sold on it being a really good movie. I do think, I don't think I would say I hate this movie. That's for sure. That's absolutely for sure. But there's so much that this movie has to do in part because of the way it's set up um, that I'm not sure I'm a fan of. In addition to the fact that Mm. I do also take issue with several of these plot points. So I'm going to let you just keep going. Roll with this. And then I will retort. All right. So the the two main points for the two points that I had just brought up, the things that it has to do that I don't exactly care for. The entire first half of this movie, and I clocked it, it was dead in the middle at about an hour and 10 minutes, is entirely exposition for what is going to be the rest of the movie. And again, I understand that the movie has to do that because there is such a concept that the Wachowski sisters are trying to drive home here. But it still feels like you're getting an hour and 10 minutes of exposition. And I understand that to some degree that's unavoidable, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. And I don't. So I, I I did not enjoy that. And also the concept of what the people are doing what the aliens are doing is really fucking stupid they built machines that are using humans as batteries yes and they're farming humans to have more batteries yes. that it, it cannot the power, like when Neo, not Neo, when Morpheus is trying to explain it, he does a really like shit half-assed where like I think everyone who probably was watching this was like, that sounds fucking stupid. And then ends it with uh, combined with some form of, of cold fusion or some shit like that to just wash away how ridiculous of an idea that is. That it it's insane to think that all of this cybernetic world is constructed solely to satiate the minds, which I don't again, really get why you need that in order to harvest the power of the people to power your machines. That's kind of dumb. Well, in the premise of it being the only resource available and also a completely renewable resource so are potatoes man <laughs> that's that, right, that was but like the whole thing is like the human mind produces a certain amount of electrical impulses at any given time for that to on a large enough scale do exactly what they're trying to do so i don't really like yeah obviously the technology behind it is not something we could have even conceivably have at this point in time, like even within the premise of what's possible. But I don't see why it's such a major factor for, like, I don't see why you could not suspend the disbelief that the ability to apply fusion to that electrical uh, impulse wouldn't be able to produce electricity. Well, not like that it wouldn't can... be able to produce electricity. Think about it like this is how I think about it. I'm not going to tell you how to think about it. You're you. Okay. Um, here's how I sure. think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want batteries. Mm-hmm. And so they devised an uber complex cybernetic reality for their batteries. 
that also needs to be power efficient Whoa. enough that they're not using up more than they're expending. Which just this, why go through the trouble if you could just farm potatoes? Well, they kind of go into it a little bit about how it wasn't like the initial plan of like, all right, let's build this program for us to be able to put and grow people in in order to do that. It was, hey, the way that we were doing it wasn't working well enough because they just wouldn't survive long enough for it to be viable. So we adjusted it. I mean, the technology we have is not like if you looked back and, and looked at the process of how we got here, yeah, it's probably not the most straightforward linear path. There's adjustments that have to be made. But at the same time, when there's no, you know, the sun is gone, the surface of the earth is, you know, by all means uninhabitable and would easily assume that it's not, you know, fertile for large growth of plants and you also look at the idea that you know constant farming of soil destroys the soil this is something where you are basically using the batteries to charge the batteries to build more batteries it's just a positive feedback loop of energy production where your only limitation is how well this computer system runs and how much space you have to do it and when they are capable of completely, you know, carving out large swaths of the earth, the size isn't really that crazy of a concern. And then that's how we get to the premise of like, all right, how tough is this system to basically act as a brain for your battery farm in the same way a, you know, server would? I, I think well, that, something that that's the original understand. idea that the Wachowskis had pitched to the studio, which I would like a lot more, but still find to be kind of silly, which is that the original idea was the aliens were using the humans for their brains computing power, basically using them as RAM, which would make a lot more sense for why you'd have this big elaborate system that requires them to, you know, be firing neurons off because you wanted to increase brain activity to increase the processing power, whatever you're doing, yada, yada, yada. I still don't think that tracks on a scale that would make any sense like this. Cause it, what I'm trying to get at is the, the, the technology that they have that is capable of doing what this movie ends up being uh, harnessing the power of people, or even if it is their, their brain chemistry, which again, I think is a much cooler idea, but still, um, programming an entire computer that does this with all of what goes into it to create the agent's atmosphere and and what the aliens actually need to do it seems like if you can do all that then you should not need this type of like this seems like way more trouble than it's worth and obviously we're never going to know that because it, that's outside of the scope of the film but it's something that i personally can't help but look at and say it's like if humans decided that the most efficient renewable energy resource was tiger energy and we just had people trying to tame tigers all the time to harness the power of the tiger and it's like avoiding the principle of it being our brains produce the most electrical um you know impulses because they are you know the most complex the you know for their size and all that garbage the idea is keeping them active is, you know, in the same way you were talking about having them power, you know, the, the logic behind a computer, computing power is giving more impulses for them to draw off of, but without the limiting factor of, okay, we're machines, you know, and undisclosed amount of time after our creation with seemingly a, like without a upper bound for what your intelligence and computing power should be able to accomplish whereas human brains do have that upper limitation so the raw electricity from it should by all means be the most important resource that it would create where the really only limiting factor for self-creating machines is you know raw material input not computing power 
so having this completely renewable resource in human farms is eliminating the largest limiting factor, but not also capping your computing ability. But at the same time, it's a science fiction film about going into a computer. I feel like we shouldn't be, you know, expecting, you know, interstellar levels of, you know, scientific theory and proofs where the premises an entertaining story and that's what they built the film off of not the okay if machines took over what would be the most efficient way for them to do so you know i think we're reading way too much into something that was never once intended to be read into to this extent well i mean we're reading into it because you kept pushing back on what i was saying <laughs> because i'm not, I'm not trying to i'm not place. trying to convince you at all I, you wanted to know why I took issue with a part of the movie, and I told you. Okay. And you know what's funny is I knew, I knew you were going to disagree with me on that, and I knew it was going to be another Christopher Nolan-style discussion because of our conversation about Tenet. I knew you were going to push back on it for that exact convoluted-ass reason. We are such an old fucking married couple at this point. Of yeah, like, well. I know we're going to fight and I know exactly how he's going to fight me and I'm ready for it. I know it. I know he's going to complain that I put his dress shirt in the dryer and it shrunk. I know it. I can't wait. Yeah. Um. So. Love you, babe. Love you too, buddy. So for the actual what goes on actually you know what hold on you didn't actually give an, an intro for what you thought about this movie that was all still me you have nope. to talk about this shit now yeah i could still hate this movie go ahead i don't i really like this movie i also haven't seen it in so long and was very intrigued to get into it and really didn't know what to expect on the flip side i was surprised with how enjoyable it was compared to what i remember it being rather than the opposite i think well, that's not the flip side this like i said i thought i hated this and I walked away oh, thinking that I did merely... not hate this. Okay, okay. I basically walked away thinking, okay, this is a really intriguing story that at its core, this like world building aspect, I am in, like wildly intrigued by. Like I want to know more about like the history behind this, what caused it, stuff like that, which, you know, they talk about it briefly in the movie, but creating a world and defining the rules and limitations of that world where yeah you have that hour and 10 minutes or so of exposition but they're doing that like you said purposefully to create this world and define the boundaries of this world and what you can accomplish what you you know can't accomplish the rules that you have to follow to give you this understanding of you know if you had this movie and you were like, okay, you can go inside a computer and do anything. It's like, all right, think you're Superman, just kill everybody. You win or think you're a computer and then just plug into the matrix and solve it. It's like, it gives you the limitations for what you can expect and what your expectations should be for how they would be able to do so. And allowing the rest of the film and, you know, his progression as Neo to kind of show off the, you know, the highlights of, his power showing exactly how the one should be or should work. And I thought it would, you know, for a sci-fi movie trying to capture a large audience, I thought it was a perfectly executed um, premise. And to finish, it wasn't until I was 17 or 18 years old till I was, till I realized his name is Neo and not Neil. Um, I just feel like I needed to throw that one in there at the end. Yeah, all all of the names in here are meant to be representative of the characters' roles, which nice, cool. Yeah, we got thanks, it. Neil. We, uh, I understood. Um, I think my favorite parts of this movie are the parts that the movie doesn't focus on. Um, which is, I think, also part of the reason I have some frustrations with it. Like tanks whole or is it not tank? Cypher? Cypher's the one that Cypher's betrays the them, one right? That betrays them, yeah. yeah. Cypher's storyline for me mm-hmm. is by far the most interesting part of this movie. Hmm. Because it's definitely an interesting one. Because Cypher's whole deal is 
I understand perfectly that the world I was living pre-Morpheus was fake. And I understand perfectly that my life today is real and there is a cause that's being fought for that means something in a tangible way to the real world. But I also can't differentiate them clear enough in how they make me feel that it really fucking matters at all. And virtual me was living a way, way better life. And I would like to go back to that. That is an interesting idea. That I absolutely was in love. Like with his whole thing with the steak, I could have sat in that moment, my dinner with Andre style for the uh, a full fucking hour. Because that is such an interesting concept. Are you there? I must have accidentally muted my mic because I've been chatting this whole time. Um, it's such an intricate world with so many possibilities that I get why they would focus on Neo for the rest of the series, the trilogy. Having no real strong, fond memories of either of the second or third films, probably because I never felt the need to go back and rewatch them. I feel like they could have really dug into so many different aspects of this world rather than just Neo's storyline. Kind of like, you know, Star Wars in a sense where it has some truly fascinating side characters and storylines that were added in to kind of supplement the Skywalker saga. But at the same time, each one of them can hold their own as a full-fledged, you know, storyline, story arc. And I'd love to see something like that expanded upon in the right way with this. Well, and I think that's another part of the reason why this movie is not a huge win for me is because once the exposition ends, this basically becomes a shoot 'em up movie that follows more or less exactly the plot you would expect it to follow. And it's a shame because there's so many ideas in this movie like really cool and good ideas. And like you said, you probably can't get into all of them because no movie really can, especially one that has this many concepts. But once you get past the exposition, I I mean, again, it is however you think this movie would go. If you'd never seen it before, yeah, it goes exactly like that. Yep, you nailed it. However you thought it would be, you, you got it. Nice. And it feels a little bit like a disservice to it. And I think the biggest point that that hits for me is when Neil go, Nick got me saying Neil now, fuck you. I've never once said Neil instead of Neo until this moment. And that is your fault. You fucking dick. Oh, I hate you so much for this. You are welcome. When Neo goes to go visit the Oracle and he's talking to that very confusing child mm-hmm. and the kids like the spoon isn't, isn't real. And Neo's like, damn right, that spoon ain't real, bitch. Um, that plans the seed in, in, into my mind, and I'd like to hear what you think, that since this is computer world, and they've shown that they can break the physics of it, why can't they do literally whatever they want? I also had that thought, and basically in my mind, it was like, all right, comes down to the mind's ability to believe that and i feel like that's something that could have been expanded upon in later films in this film specifically i completely understand why neo like doesn't pull like a luke skywalker type shit where it's like all right i'm gonna go carry yoda on my back and then next film i am beating the two greatest sith lords of all time kind of shit where this was a great place to start that journey and you had two other films to kind of unlock Neil's mind and have him, you know, give him the ability of like agents to an extent of, you know, morphing and, and all that shit. And well, I guess he does do that once in this, but not in a different sense. So I'm not going to hold it against this film. I'll hold it against all the others but not this one. 
I can understand because again, you know, you, like we just said, you can't get into everything. Mm-hmm. One of the other things, I'm not going to make it a huge sticking point because I think it would just lead to potentially another big non sequitur <laughs> argument. Those are our best kind of discussions, though. I, I know, but I, I also would like to bring it up as a minor but present complaint and to hear what you think. Why can't they just write a program code to do what they want to do? I kind of viewed it as if this is a you know closed system, it's very limited. So like everything's kind of hardwired in, so it's not like you'd have the ability to just kind of sneak in and and just rewrite the entire program yourself, especially if you don't speak the language. It's like trying to sneak. A, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for like how I would think but of it, but basically they just kind of like, can though because the, those extraction calls, you know what I'm saying. And the fact that they can put the people back in and the fact that they had a quote unquote room where, you know, Neo did all the practicing with Morpheus. That seems obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's different because it's, it's proprietary, I guess, but it, it's still remarkably similar in structure. So okay, I don't want to make this a huge sticking there, point, but right. But I'm just trying to say like, so think of it as like a closed circuit TV where it's a camera feed going from the camera to like the monitor. And one of those is the matrix and the stuff they're training on is a completely different network that's closed off. So you can't view both cameras on that monitor. You can't, you know, send one of those cameras to both monitors. It's its own system. Saying that, knowing that they have the ability to just give them all the guns they want and whatever they want to then, change them in the matrix kind of breaks that argument but at the same time i could also understand if they explained it as okay putting things in is one thing completely changing the program and and giving yourself like admin rights is a different one but again i can understand why you would very much want to bring that topic up and i can also understand why they would want to stay away from it because it once it's like with anything <laughs> whole can of worms yeah well yeah exactly once you get too in the weeds of any specific part of how something works in science fiction you are inherently going to run to the roadblock of well that's not how that works midichlorians <laughs> oh Fucking fuck off midichlorians <laughs> but like not even that just just like yeah. hey how is everybody in space now it's not how that are we doing this it's not like you're a, it's a stupid explanation it's just we're choosing not to give an explanation. Right. And again, that's why I, I, it's not like uh, I'm writing off this whole movie because why don't they mm-hmm. just program more good? But yeah. at the same time, it is because that's what I love about the concept behind the there is no spoon remark, because mm-hmm. theoretically, that kid is totally right. None of it is real. And it can they've shown that they can manipulate certain things, but there's never at least that I, no, that I can recall, and as we know, I'm very bad at recalling specific lines of dialogue, that draws that line of what can and can't be done. The phone thing, I think, is weird, but I can uh, kind of get my mind around it being some sort of tether because it's a communication device, you know, something along those lines. I can I can fill in a gap here and there, but the, the sheer, like from a nihilistic perspective, the fact that none of it is real, none of it matters, and you should be able to kind of bend its will however you feel like it. Obviously, I think it comes up more in later films. I think, you know, Neo can start becoming the, the different people the way that Agent Smith does and that type of shit, if I recall those later movies correctly. Um, but it is, it's a weirder point. And then the last thing that I wish they would have spent before more time on, on, but before yeah. Before you go on, they're nihilist, dude. They don't believe in anything. Say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, but at least it's an ethos. <laughs> oh, no, Donnie, these men are nihilists. They're cowards. <laughs> I fucking adore that movie. I know. I think about it. I think about fucking Eric Skosgard, whichever Skosgard that is. Every single time I think of the word nihilist. Every time. <laughs> I don't know how you don't. That and carpet. 
or that rug just tied the whole room together, man. Um, well, I, I also wish carpet. there was. I also said man instead of dude. I'm clearly not okay. That's all right. I, I, I do also wish, and again, 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 I know I, you know, you can't get all these things in one movie, but I, it, I don't know about you, but for me, it reached a certain point where I had to remind myself, oh, like Neo was living in this world before he realized that it wasn't a real world. Yeah. Like there was, there's an apartment that's his somewhere here. Well, they, this- they even have a scene where he drives past, you know, this street and he goes, oh, I used to eat at that Chinese place all the time. Really great noodles. Yeah, and I, I wish that there was a little bit more because, again, it's such a high concept. I would love to spend more time kind of understanding it or, you know, seeing some some reaction to it and some level of, of depth behind it that kind of ties into what Cypher ends up doing. But again, 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 I know you can't get everything with these types of movies, so I can seasons Seasons one through six of David Benioff and What's the name? It's Benioff and Weiss. Oh, Game of Thrones? I guess they're both David. Um, Them creating a world like The Matrix and a a Game of Thrones style show when they give a shit would be unbelievable. Because they would dig into each one of these storylines. And then none of them would pay off. Seasons one through six. We're we're getting there. We're going to cap that one off. Yeah, then we'll pass it off to like James Gunn or somebody. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> just go full camp with it um yeah i mean i i i still f- i found myself caring about this movie a lot f- mm-hmm. for about half an hour yeah. i think is where i i really really enjoyed about half an hour of this movie because again that so much of the beginning is exposition and at a certain point you go uh, all right you know i I've seen the memes. I, I, I you know, I, I've seen the references. I, I, I get what's happening here. Um, and then the whole end of this movie is a, I, it might as well be a sci-fi version of the Fast and Furious. So at some point you're like, oh, all right, yeah, that that's a bigger gun than the one she had before. Yep, that's the guns keep getting big. Oh, they got a helicopter now. Um, and so I think there's a, a solid 30 minutes where I'm like, this is genuinely a very fucking good movie. Yeah. I still, I still really enjoy this movie. I can kind of see it as what it is. Like it's, I would have liked it in a different, you know, different sense, like a different focus where it is more world building and less, you know, popular action film but at the same time this is such a like landmark action film that i just can't help but also just enjoy and appreciate that for what it is effects are Um, still phenomenal yeah it's crazy how like the shot where you know they do the 360 cam on trinity that first fight scene that still looks great yeah it really does the uh the face morphing uh is not ideal and like the the silver shine um, for that like goop that they put on, like the lighting on the um, CGI is it. You can tell it's dated, but at the end of the day, it's used sparingly enough to not really impact the rest of the visual effects at all. So I'm okay with it. Um, I will also say, not that I think you and i will have too much to say on the subject but i figured i might as well bring it up uh since this movie had come out um both the wachowskis had transitioned and there's been a lot of discussion part of the legacy of this movie now is um lives in the personal stories of the wachowski sisters post transition and seeing some body dysmorphia or body trauma or a sense of searching for a true identity and for the Bukowski sisters, a gender identity um, as you go through life. And that, because it's a film that is so closely tied to the two of them, because this was really their big break into cinema. And again, given their, their lives after this had come out, um, you know, it, in the 22 years since this movie came out, that has become part of that legacy, uh, which I can definitely see. I think there is, you know, a clear sense of like the world that you're living in isn't real 
uh, that can very much be read as you're trapped in the body of the, of a, the wrong gender. Um, I, I totally see that. Uh, at the same time, that's I'm only going to get so far with it uh, because of, I mean, who I am. But I also felt like it was worth bringing up because it has definitely become something that is uh, brought up frequently as this movie is discussed now. I genuinely just have never once followed along that storyline. So I, this episode of the podcast, like coming into this and looking that up was the first I've ever even heard of it. So yeah, it I'd only not affected my film watching experience in any capacity. Yeah, I'd only heard it relatively recently. Um, when did they transition? Oh, Lily had transitioned very soon after this movie, if I recall correctly. Um, Lana, I think, was 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 later. I don't really recall. Um, like, I, I remember Lana pre-transition, but okay. I don't remember Lily pre-transition. Not that that um, matters, I guess. I but. don't remember either of them, really, so, you know. Yeah, like, I remember when the Wachowskis were a brother-sister combo. And, and yeah, but I mean, yeah. Um, so that's that. Uh, I guess final ratings and reviews on this one, unless you got anything else to talk about plot or otherwise wise. Um, regardless of everything that we kind of talked about, I still would consider this a very well executed story and a, a, for what it is, a compelling story that you will definitely be interested in. I'm going to give, I think this is a, a quintessential four. Right on. Um, I, even though I do not love this movie, I definitely, and part of it is also me having to shed, you know, that fact that 14 year old or 15 year old Josh, whatever, like for whatever reason, hated this movie. You gotta, you gotta shake that off too. So I think for me, this is a solid three and a half. I would probably never complain about having to watch it again, even though I wouldn't probably elect to watch it again. And I would also recommend that other people watch it. Um, and and, and expect them again. and expect them to enjoy it too. Like there's been some movies that I would recommend. I think I've said on the show that I recommend for people to watch and tell them they might not, that I, or that I would only recommend if it was a certain person or something like that. No, mm. I would recommend this to almost anybody and would expect most people to enjoy it. So I think for me, this is a, a clean three and a half. Nice. I know Ethan said when we were watching this that he used to watch this like three times a year and it's one of his all-time favorite movies. And you know what? There's absolutely no reason I would ever argue that with someone because this is very much a movie that you can just get lost in and just obsess over. Uh if this, oh, I had mixed them up. I knew Lana Wachowski pre-transition, not Lily Wachowski. Damn, damn. Um, it would if this came out when you were like a fully formed human person. Would you wear a, a leather jacket, a leather, no, uh, no, leather trench coat? You wouldn't be a leather trench coat guy. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I don't know. I could, I could, I could see as. Love the trench coat guy. I got to say, it is also just last thing, and then I promise we'll move on. It is also a little bit uncomfortable watching this movie with all of the um, trench coats and guns, knowing this was the same year as Columbine. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, same year. I will say, as uh, cool as it was at the time, it's definitely kind of the stereotype has been built around it and at the end of the day it's like that's just not like a tactical thing to wear none of that is effective in like <laughs> what you're trying to accomplish tactical trench coats <laughs> very like you are succeeding in spite of your wardrobe not because of it oh shit i didn't realize how close to together these two things were so this film was released March 31st. Columbine was April 20th, less than a month later. I feel like there's got to be some connection between these. Like they had gone to see it. All right, well, let's let's move on before we start talking about that too much. This is not that type of show. Let's not be sad. Let's but please watch sad. Bowling for Columbine. Oh, yes. Wonderful documentary. 
Um, all right, so then let's take this into the 2007 film Superbad, which was directed by Greg Matola, written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, starring Michael Sarah, Jonah Hill, and Christopher Mintz Plassey as our trio of pubescent uh, ragamuffins. I don't know what the right word would be. Rapscallions. Rapscallions, ne'er do wells, perhaps. Ne'er do wells, very good. Oh, shit. This movie had way more budget than I was expecting. Um, $20 million budget. Wow. Yeah, obviously this movie has good production value and people in it that you you definitely know now. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people knew who Bill Hader and Joe Latruglio were at the time too, but um, right. definitely much more famous today. Anyway, this film grossed $170 million, uh, which makes it a success. It's opening weekend uh, was only $33 million, which is part of the reason it gets kind of a cult classic reputation mm-hmm. uh, because it was not very popular when it first came out and found a lot more success later on, which helped contribute to that uh, gross overall profit uh, or gross revenue after the fact, you know, but up to today, but it was not a huge success when it came out. Ooh, another solid tagline here. Ready? Mm-hmm. Come and get some. Oh, I like that a lot. That's a really good tag. We're two for two on good taglines. That shit fucking never happens, man. Never. All right. Uh, this film is about two codependent high school seniors are forced to deal with separation anxiety after their plan to stage a booze-soaked party goes awry. Corbin Heller, this was your pick for this week. You get us started. I really don't know if there's a better like if you were to choose a film to just kind of highlight or like if you were to pin a tweet on your profile but it had to be a movie that just represented your like coming of age years like your high school years late middle school years just like it's not like who you were it's not like even your favorite just like what is the best representation of like that era and that vibe almost? And I think for me and so many other people, it's just like, it's super bad. Like you could have a conversation with anyone our age and be like, Hey man, you remember super bad. And everyone's going to be like, wow, what a film, what a movie that was. That was great. I just think, you know, Seth Rogen, Bill Hader are both tremendous actors and writers and like this is just the pinnacle for them i just love them both in this i love everything they do in this this is just such an unbelievably quotable and fun movie to just watch over and over again i'm not saying like back to back to back but if you watch this every six months i'd say that's the perfect amount of time to like just kind of you know gap between watches of this you know smoke a little legal or illegal herb have some drink get some friends together and just fucking watch super bad yeah i mean this is one of the best films to straddle i think what is one of the lines that makes separates good comedies from great comedies and that is that line between being just a movie of fucking idiots doing goofball bullshit and mm-hmm. actually having like depth and relatability in a real way mm-hmm. You know, like they there is so much actual plot to this movie. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much plot to this movie, so much more than you like the hangover does one part of this movie, which is all the goofy, stupid shit that is mm-hmm. super fun, you know, but it, it the plot is, is one directional. They're looking for a guy. They're trying to find that guy. And they, they found the guy. Uh, this actually goes like several places and does interesting things along the way and forces some of the actual coming of age parts of a coming of age story to come about in weird ways. It, it's, it's a fucking treat. Um, you worry for these guys safety at several points. Um, you relate to their punishing awkwardness. Uh, and they're fake it till they made it type of attitude. If you were not a popular kid in high school, I don't know how this is not your favorite movie. If you were a popular kid in high school, how could this not be your favorite movie? If you were a popular kid in high school, you, you're probably the dredge of society. 
If you were if you were a popular kid in high school, I'm assuming you're unvaxxed. <laughs> My high school had this really weird clique of kids who were just like incredibly popular and also incredibly motivated and driven and smart. And they're all now like super successful while also being super popular. And it's just like every teen coming of age movie has told me that you should not exist. What the, who are, what are you? But yeah, besides them. Yeah, I guess. Actually, I did know some really nice kids that were also very popular when I was in high school, but it's also more fun to just be like, nah, go fuck yourself. I'm going to convince myself that I'm making up for, you're making up for the good years you had early on with bad years later on. I'm just going to live in that lie for a while. 150%. (laughs) Oh, man. I also love the fact that this movie has massive, like, late 70s, early 80s vibes for absolutely Mm -hmm. no reason. Like they dress like it's nineteen seventy five. Oh yeah, when when th- them walking out to um busting out by uh Rick James off the, coming off the bus is fucking hilarious. I'm Rick James, bitch. And it's and it it's so aggressively seventies for no I guess eighties, but for no fucking reason. Like Judd Apatow is so good at just creating this just. He's not world building in the same way the Matrix is, but like he's Did creating an atmosphere. This? Didn't he direct it? No. Is this I... not Judd Apatow? Oh, it's no. produced by Judd Apatow. Yeah, it's Greg Matola. Either way, Judd Apatow had his hands in this, and he is just such an artist when it comes to this era of comedies that I'm going to give him all the credit. It's just such a, a atmosphere that they have in their movies that like yeah like this is the middle of the you know 2010s the aught 20s oh seven yeah thank you it feels like there's parts from the 70s it feels like it's parts from the 80s the 90s you know it's timeless even today well less so because of cell phones but at the same time whatever let me live in this world you can watch this for the next 60 years and enjoy it just as much and relate to it just as much Oh, absolutely. I, and and oh God, just like seeing the scenes of high school in the beginning. And first off, most of these kids actually look like they're fucking high school kids. And also like the the, the tangents, um, like Seth going off on the teacher in home ec. Like, look, we all know this class is a fucking joke and everyone's just here to get a fucking A. And what it's an like, unbelievable rant. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to put down your professions. <laughs> just give me a fucking break. Sorry. Uh we, everyone thought that I took home ec in high school for the same reason. Everyone thought everyone knew everyone knows it's great. And I think this, this movie almost has like a boyhood thing to it. Mm-hmm. The movie boyhood, not like the concept uh, because Seth and Evan started writing this movie when they were 13 and, you know, it really like time capsules. I'm sure a lot of those feelings if not necessarily any of the plot points or dialogue, um, but certainly I think time capsules, a lot of those feelings and emotions and sensibilities that they then carried with them over the next, I guess, 10 to 15 years of their lives up until this film actually got the chance to get made. Um, which is what I think helps add to its timelessness of it. You know, like, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when they were writing this movie, busting out by Rick James was still a fucking like mainstream bop. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it was. I don't know when that song actually came out, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised at all. And if they had like put it in the you know lo, you know margins of the script, and then just kept it there forever, because that's that's what they were about. Actually, no, they came out in 79, and Seth Rogen was born in '82, so it was not a current pop. But well, I mean, we listened to you know Fleetwood Mac and bands from long before we were born that's just oh yeah no i just mean like, i think that's some of that sensibility that like 80s sen- sensibility mm-hmm. i think might be part of a you know pre- preservation of attitude from when they started writing this shit because i mean like they imagine actively working on making a script happen for uh let's see this movie came out in 07 seth rogan's born in 82 so he was 13 and 95 so 12 years 12 years that's a long time yeah and i'll tell you what i 
would love to have been a fly on the wall when Seth Rogen is just getting stoned, listening to Rick James, just fucking writing up scenes about cops breaking into a party. Oh, which is another one of the best moments in the whole show when Bill Hader is dancing oh, no, to fuck cops. the police. <laughs> also, when the kids open the door and Bill Hader is just immediately, oh, no, it's the cops. You are about to get fucked by the long dick of the law. Another one of my favorite lines from this movie. What's up, motherfuckers? I, I'm Tiger came out of the cage, it. man. Tiger came out of the cage. Oh, that's the, that's the thing. This cast it's is fucking stacked, man. It is. It Joe Latruglio. Joe Latruglio is great in this. It's but it's the it's the um, film debut of Christopher Mintz Plassey. It is the film debut of Emma Stone. It is the first leading role in a film Jonah Hill ever had. I mean, this is this this is a huge movie for a lot of actors that I think you know we look at today as being all over. Like, it's not surprising to see Jonah Hill have major parts in huge uh, uh, films nowadays. Christopher Mintz-Plassey still makes comedy movies like this. Emma Stone has an Oscar. You know, mm-hmm. like Joe Latrugio got way more famous after he did uh, "I Love You, Man" a couple years after this, and then. Um, uh, fucking Brooklyn Nine Nine. So it, it's Hill's wild to see all the director and is also Jonah Hill. Huh? Jonah Hill is an acclaimed director and also Jonah Hill. Yeah, man. And uh, Greg Matola has it's is still alive, alive, from what <laughs> I can tell. Oh. Wow, yeah, that is literally all I can say about him. He directed Adventureland two years later in 09. So I saw that. He directed Paul. <laughs> That's exactly how I would describe it. I saw that. He directed Paul two years after that in 2011. I, I saw that too. I liked Paul. I liked I liked Paul as well, mostly because, I mean, how can, how can you not like something that has those two guys in it? Mm-hmm. Love those guys. Fucking. Did you forget their names? No, they're great guys. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. They're great yeah, guys. There we go. <laughs> um, and he great directed guys. Keeping Up with the Joneses, which I have never heard of before. And boy, howdy, does that look bad. Keeping Up with the Joneses. I feel like I know that. Oh, I just Googled Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Fuck me. Zach Galifianakis and John Hamm. Um, oh, boy. Does it not look good? Oh, yeah. This... And he's dra- oh, he's directed a few episodes of Dave. I like Dave. That's a good I show. I do like Dave. Dave's an excellent show. Dave's genuinely in the running for my favorite show. There's that too, I guess. Yeah, Dave. Watch Dave. Really, Dave is what brought this conversation to a screeching halt? D- Dave. Wow. I'm Dave. trying to think of like what else I really have to say about this movie. I, you know, it's not too too much uh just get you know, high and watch this movie <laughs> for people for as the host who partakes in such a thing just do yourself that favor it's so funny and you know it, it's just it there's always more to the the subplots than you remember which is what makes it fun like christopher mm-hmm. mitzplassi's journey throughout this film is so fucking entertaining <laughs> and it's and it comes to such a great point when he gets to the end of it and the cops are like look man we knew you were lying we just knew how we felt about cops when we were your age and we wanted you to think we were cool christopher we mitzplassi want- you're 16 and look like christopher mitzplassi we know 17. you're not 23 yeah <laughs> Uh, the, one of my favorite fun facts about this movie is because he was a minor when they made this, his mother had to be in the studio on set when he filmed the sex scene. Yes. Oh, I fucking love that. Yeah. Yeah. He was, so he was actually 17. Michael Sauer was 18. And then Jonah Hill was 23. Uh, because of course. Because of course. And then you know, like seeing seeing the the kind of like dramatic fallout of that party between uh, 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 Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah is still that whole party is such a wild little sub story line place thing when the when the dudes just like walk in on Michael Sarah and start like bumping rails and forcing him to sing. 
That is fucking hilarious. And they're like just and they're just him actually blitz to well. get it. <laughs> yeah, but they're, but, they're, but they're like they're 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 so yayed up. They're not even they don't even register the fact that like he is not doing a good job and he doesn't know half the words. No, he kills it. It was a great great singing performance. The choices are making. <laughs> I also do really appreciate that like despite all of the ridiculous humor and storylines in this film they also have you know the nice added um, benefit of giving you a life lesson of hey don't take advantage of drunk people regardless of sex yes teach, teach the young people of society that's right. Understand that's consent, why- folks. <laughs> and that's why we're here to talk about the drama film Superbad. I mean, it is. I think the best comedies are a stone's throw from being dramas. So. Yes and no. Because you have stuff like The Big Lebowski and then you have stuff like Wet Hot American Summer. And boy, that's pretty far of a stone's throw to reach drama status, but it's still one of the funniest movies ever. That is certainly an opinion, my friend. You don't like Wet Hot American Summer? I can't claim I care for it, no. I fucking adore that film. That is so funny. Right on, man. Okay. Okay, okay. I know what movie I will not be picking this week. Yeah, I, I, it, it's too. Is it a, literally a national lamp, national lampoon movie? Because it feels very national lampoon. No, I don't think it is. Yeah, because I was never really a fan of the National Lampoon series, and it felt really? very National Lampoony. Yeah, I like the National Lampoon. Nope, not there a fan. Are some serious misses for sure, but as a whole, oh, this one's just Chevy Chase crying in a bath for two hours what the fuck happened here uh, <laughs> uh, yeah I don't really have anything else to say about super bad you got anything else to say about super bad um no I've made my piece yeah I mean obviously we do we do all of our movies at a pretty high level there's a lot of various points to this movie it's heavily about sex uh is a huge part of this movie in a very a very rudimentary yeah very 17 year old type of way but also it i love that it's not about necessarily having sex for the sake of having sex or for the conquest of having sex it was about having sex now so that when you're having sex in college people don't think you suck at having sex and want to have more sex with you which is absolutely a thought we've all had at one point. Oh, absolutely. No one wants no one wants to, to be thought of as being bad in bed. And if you have an opportunity to like leave your hometown for four years and go find a significant other elsewhere and you can just have sex with someone here, learn the ropes, be awful at it, and then figure your shit out for when you go have sex with other people in another city for four years. Yeah, go do that. Make your mistakes on someone you'll never see again. <laughs> Who's and also somehow, in the And yet somehow we both ended up in serious relationships with people who grew up like 10 minutes away from. That's, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> honestly, I didn't even go to college very far from my hometown, but whatever. Uh, yeah, it's also, it's, it's weird. I, I now work like, like 10 miles from where I went to school. I will never leave this area. I'm stuck here forever and I'm okay with it. Um, but it's, 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 it's also a fun take on, cause like when you watch American pie, which is also, you know, it's a fun movie very much. So of, I was going to say of its Same era, style. but American pie only came out like six years before this, which seems crazy. Right. Was it a one? Uh, anyway, American pie is very much so about having sex for the sake of having sex. It's like I 99. So eight years before this, it's, it's like, I want to fuck that's the movie and this movie is like i want to fuck because i don't want other people i fuck later to think i'm bad at fucking american pie is the movie you watch and it's like yeah let's go do it let's go have sex super bad is the movie you watch and it's like oh no that's actually what it that's that's the reality of the situation (laughs) they're horrible dirty talk (laughs) 
you got something for me? Oh, yeah. I would just fucking, I would rather just bite the bullet rather than have to go back and see what I thought dirty talking was when I was 17. Oh, yeah. Or the horrible Frenching where it's just like our mouths are both as wide as they can be. And here comes the tongues. Oh, Oh, we were bringing up stuff that was suppressed deep down. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's, that's why everyone tunes into this podcast. Uh, all right, man. I, I got nothing else for this, so should we move into final ratings and review? Um, I don't really have any kind of final rating for this or final review for this because it's just kind of... It's nothing deeper than anything we've already talked about, but I'm going to give it a four and a half. Oh, I'm rocking a solid five for this bad boy. Nice, nice. Uh, and I'm... I, I, because everything about this movie is exactly what I want it to be about this movie, even down to the title of this movie, which reflects so much brash confidence, which these characters have absolutely none of. But they try to project, which is part of the point of the movie. Like the fact that this movie is called Super Bad, and it's about two fucking, I guess three fucking losers trying to get laid is hilarious. Like, literally, this movie stole the title, not steal, but had the same title, as the movie that ended up becoming Black Dynamite. And Black Dynamite had to not use the title Superbad because this movie took it. And those movies are so colossally fucking different in every way that the fact that this movie ended up with the title Superbad really nails home how much it shouldn't have the title Superbad. But it does, and it's perfect. So I'm giving this is a solid five out of five comedy film for Josh. I really want to watch Black Dynamite now. The militants turn startled. Sarcastically, I'm in charge. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. Black Dynamite, my mama says my daddy's name Black Dynamite. Hush up, little lady. A lot of cats have that name. I used to be an orphan. The worst part about orphans is that they don't got no parents. Who dare interrupt my kung fu? I told you to stop calling here and interrupted my kung fu. Wow, Black Dynamite. the fuck up, Gloria. I know it too. I don't even gotta look. I sent you back to to, to Crenshaw Pete with his rusty coat hangers. You like that, bitch? (laughs) Oh my God, that movie. Ha! I threw that shit before I even walked in the room. Recon, no! Kill me. Kill me. No. Anaconda malt liquor, liquor gives, gives you, you a- woo. Metal oh. Richard. I, and, and you just keep watching it and just keeps getting better with the shit you don't notice. Like the one time that um, Bullhorn tries to make a rhyme, can't think of anything and just sits down defeated. <laughs> Oh, it's such. I've probably seen that movie like six times after you first showed it to me, and I it just gets, fucking lose it every. It time. just gets better and better and better. Oh god! When, when they're having the fight scene and the guy actually hits them, and it's just like <laughs> motherfucker. And then they just replace the actor. Cut. <laughs> Chicago uh, wind. I presume your presumption is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't say uh, the next word. <laughs> nope. Oh, but oh God, it's such such a good movie. Josh, I miss movie Sundays when you would just pull these random fucking hilarious comedies out of your ass and they're just perfection. Oh, man. I should pick a Neil Breen movie at some point. Oh, you'd have a field day. All right, I'll consider it for the nice. future. But anyway, I guess let's get into next week's picks. Uh, Corwin Heller, what you got? Uh, I am picking a black and white film. Fuck Josh, out of here take a care to guess what that could be it can't be too old no so i'm going to i'm going to guess schindler's list no good call good call no i'll is give drama you 37 more uh, it's a comedy i'll give you 37 more guesses uh is it clerks it is clerks 37 37 trying to suck any dick on your way to the parking lot hey 
Mm, what a movie. Such a good movie. All right, Thanks, right man. on. Skinny dude. Yeah, well, nowadays. But the jorts are still large. Uh, all right. My pick for next week is going to be um, 1988's A Fish Called Wanda. Are you familiar? Uh, somewhat. I have started this film. I've never finished it. I have seen this movie so many fucking times. I love this movie. I have not watched it in a while. Was thinking about John Cleese recently. So I'm excited for it. Mm, that's good. I was thinking about bulldozers recently. Uh, one of my favorite John Cleese stories is that apparently Steam his steamrollers. It is a steamroller. I wasn't going to say anything. Um, <laughs> Uh, apparently his name is his uh, last name at some point in his lineage used to be cheese instead of Cleese in case everyone was wondering why what you know Cleese sounds kind of weird and it's spelled exactly like cheese but with an L and it's because his I think his dad grandfather didn't like the last name cheese and so he he always regretted that he ended up becoming a comedian but he couldn't he was so close to having the name Jack Cheese but it just didn't end up happening for him. Well, I mean, he could have changed it back. And I don't think anyone would have been like upset that he changed it to what his family name used to be. Yeah, well, he didn't. So, yeah, he didn't. Jack Cheese. Jack Cheese. All right. So that's it. So 1994's cool. Clerks. And 1988's A Fish Called Wanda. Wanda. Um, those are our picks for next week. Give them a watch before uh, we drop next week's episode, whenever that might be. I know we're late. Suck my dick. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We never post from there, so have fun with that. If you'd like to follow Corbin on Twitter, you can do so at Corbin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And uh, until next week, y'all have a good one.